0: And you were talking about like the trailers just there to support the superintendents. It's really the superintendents and everybody's there to support subcontractors. Because that's superintendent. Support the
1: subs. At the end exactly. of the day,
0: he's not even doing anything. He's just there helping out subcontractors. So
1: Exactly. Um, but that field superintendent from the general contractor's point of view, the field superintendent's team is your connectivity mm-hmm. to the subs. But yes, you are correct. Everything is happening from the field is being driven by the grace of God of the subs.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> without a doubt. Without a doubt. All hail the subcontractor.
0: <laughs> hey, what's up everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors podcast. My name is Matt Graves. And my co-host each week is Kyle Grandel. What's up, Kyle?
2: Hey Matt, thanks for the welcome. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We got a really awesome guest. All right, it's going to be awesome.
0: So before we get into that, I want to play a quick game of where in the world is Kyle Grandel? <laughs>
2: I'm, at, I'm actually currently in Minnesota for like very rare circumstances.
0: I thought that backdrop looked familiar. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't seen well, it in a actually, long time.
2: It's a fake one, a fake one oh. but I have it as, as a background. So actually, <laughs> all, all this high, fancy high-tech stuff now.
0: All good, man. That's why I got to have this. And then it, everything I have disappears into it. It's actually kind of funny.
2: This is this is the background from my office space, and I haven't even been there yet, <laughs>
0: but I've been in town. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, this week's guest is Cody Fournay. We've been uh, we kind of connected on LinkedIn, and we had a conversation or two. And uh, she does some awesome stuff. Has written an awesome book, and um, with the theme of trying to get industry experts on to really kind of uh, feed the next generation of construction managers coming up. Like we knew we had to get Cody. And scheduling conflicts, it took us way longer than we ever wanted to to get her on here. So we finally, because Kyle's a globetrotter and working nice. It's my fault. It's (laughs) my fault. Anyway, welcome, Cody.
1: Thank you so much for having me, you guys. It's wonderful. I'm honored to be here. I've been excited to do it for a long time.
2: Absolutely. And and, hey, in my defense, nothing worth having is easy. So you know what? what? (laughs) We, We worked through it. We made this happen.
1: You save the best for last. You can just drop the mic when we're done and hang the whole thing up.
0: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Cody, for people who don't know you, can you give us a a short bio?
1: Okay, sure. No problem. Um, I got into the construction industry purely because of my degree in construction management, which happened uh, at Michigan State way back in 1991. And that's how I got into the industry. I had no exposure to construction prior to that not in my family, not anything like that. Um, but I majored in it in school and that's how I got started. And I started as a field engineer with Turner construction hired in Detroit transferred to Turner, Miami and worked out of Turner, Miami's office for about five years. And that was my foundation in the industry. And I did a lot of common things that people do when they first start. I was a field engineer. I was an assistant superintendent. I was a cost controls engineer, assistant superintendent again, assistant estimator, assistant superintendent again, like bounced around and did a wide variety of things. And then I kind of began the journey of what I call an intentional, well-rounded career after that. So let me walk you through um, just some of those intentional, well-rounded choices. So after leaving Turner, I purposefully wanted to get some experience on the owner side of the equation. After that, I became national manager of construction for Blockbuster Video back when Blockbuster Video was a thing.
0: You didn't put it on the business, were- did you?
1: I did not. I did not. I tried to convince them to partner with Netflix. (laughs) I I was one of many people trying to convince them of that. But nonetheless, Um, but back in the time that I worked there, Blockbuster was like McDonald's, they were just popping up on every corner. Mm -hmm. So it was a tremendous, uh, again, intentional uh, decision to become well rounded. So not only was I going to the owner's side of the equation, but you can imagine the change in project type and size, right? Because when you go to work for a big company like Turner, and my average project size back then was probably twenty to thirty million dollars. And then you switch over to something like Blockbuster Video, and the average project size is a 300000 three hundred thousand dollar tenant build out. But we were opening a store somewhere in North America every fourteen hours. That's wild. So the The pace of it was tremendous so you can see how compared to my beginnings at Turner That was a really different experience And then after Blockbuster, I knew I wanted to go back into general contracting But I wanted to again have a more well-rounded experience and do something different So after that I went to work for the opposite of Turner I went to work for a regional design build pure design build general contractor that was focused only on the state of Florida for very specific markets. So that again was a new well-rounding experience. And then most importantly, I became vice president of business development. So as you just listen to my background, it was all operations oriented. I had no business development experience at all. So again, this was part of me getting to learn more and have new varying experiences. So I was vice president of business development for that company and was promoted to senior vice president. I sat on the board. I bought a minority shares in the company. So it was my first intrapreneurial experience as well. And um, it was just a fantastic experience. And then from there, I had my first entrepreneurial experience. I went back to the owner side of the equation again. So you see the zigzagging back and forth gc owner gc owner mm-hmm. and i went and started my own owner's rep consulting firm focused purely on healthcare work in the state of florida which is a wise thing to do because there's a lot of it <laughs> and so i did that for several years and then i got the itch to work on the industry versus in the industry and i have pretty much settled in that position ever since Um, I was crazy enough to start a dot-com out of my living room in 2007. (laughs) So I do not have to remind you that in 2008, the entire world economy crashed Mm -hmm. and it would have, it was dumbass to be sitting on a dot-com in 2008, but to my credit and with a lot of luck and a lot of support and a lot of help from a lot of people we were still able to take that idea that grew out of my living room, raise capital against it, build a prototype, get proof of concept, get enough buzz about it going in the industry to um, annoy other companies and get the attention of competitors and eventually did sell that company. Um, And so I have remained kind of in that position ever since, which is, a choice to work on the industry and help others as opposed to working in it. So that's a little bit of a long story. But since the goal of your podcast is to help others and mentor others and help people to realize what they can do and accomplish in the industry, my story is a unique one mm-hmm. and it's good for people to be able to understand that the more well-rounded you make yourself, the more value you have. To, you can have the potential to add value in more places. And um, so it's been a hell of a ride. And now I spend a lot of time paying my success forward.
0: That's awesome. What was your favorite of all your stops along the journey? What was your favorite stop?
1: Oh, that's a super easy question. For me, when I was senior vice president uh, for Miller Construction Company, the company I was telling you about in South Florida, That was, without a doubt, the best experience that I had, the one where I'm the most grateful. Um, The two brothers that founded Miller Construction Company uh, to this day are two of the people I most admire in this world. And um, I, I learned so much there, and I overcame so many fears and concerns, and I just grew a lot in that experience. And the other reason the other reason i would say that it was so powerful in my career is because it changed working for that company changed the way i saw the construction industry so if you could let me expound a little on why that is that company competitively bids almost zero almost zero okay so during the seven or eight years that i was vice president of business development I kinda remember half of one project that we competitively bid. But picture that seven, eight years goes by, you're in charge of business development and you're getting to learn from a company that essentially doesn't bid anything. Can you just picture like what a perfect, perfect opportunity that is. Mm -hmm. First of all, to be able to learn business development from people who only do negotiated private sector work. First of all, just that gift to have been given that. And then second of all, for you to know that you work in an industry where you don't have to say yes. You don't have to bid things just because that's what most people do. You don't have to. You don't even have to be in that game at all. You can make a living and build buildings and take care of customers and clients and do it all and not have to be in that game. So that really, really, really changed my perspective on the industry. And I've been kind of walking around shouting from every mountaintop about that ever since. So I'm extremely grateful for that period in my career and how it changed the way I see the industry as a whole.
0: That's definitely a game changer. I mean, because it it puts the whole industry on its head, right? As, you know, everyone just thinks low bid or at least competitively bid. You know, with a with a technical proposal, but it must have took them some time to get up to that level of reputation and really, it's all relationships at that point, right? So it must have took them some yeah. time to get to that point, or was it? I
1: hand i understand the point you're making that you would that it would sound like you were kind of earning your way right slowly over time like like you're earning your way into those more like discretionary opportunities right but my understanding of their story is actually even more impressive than that i think because my understanding of their story is they pretty much just started out like that made a commitment to it really quick and were willing to grow very slowly, very controlled, by just working for the, those certain needles in a haystack that they could find and cultivate, who were willing to do business the way they knew would produce the best results. And so I think to their credit, it's even, it's even more impressive because they were so discerning even from the very, very, very beginning and they've just stuck to their guns all these years later you know 50 plus years they've been in business now so again i i've had many wonderful experiences in my career and i'm grateful for all of them but i will have to say that in terms of defining the way i see the industry and the and defining the way i see good construction management get done that company really really impacted me
2: yeah, so Cody, when it comes to them landing those contracts, I mean, what do you think some of the biggest um, successful reasons were exactly? I mean, um, you know, you talked a little bit about, it. to me, it sounds like they, they really had a, had a really specialized need that they were, they were filling for the customers. And the customers, they were able, they were able to show the customers that. And then once the yes. customers understood it, the customers were like, you know what, done, sign us up, let's do this.
1: Right, exactly. It kind of reminded me a lot, to be honest, the previous podcast that you did with Matt Mm better. Do you remember, like when he was talking about? um, Remember how he kind of coined the phrase true design build, which I understood what what he meant? Um, Kind of like this authentic true, true design build situation. And the company that I worked for was also successful, kind of under that umbrella. So because the word design build can get thrown around, right? And it can be used loosely, but what what your previous guest Matt was saying, I would reiterate it was my experience as well, because much of the work that we did was true design build, where we were the single point of contact. We were hiring the right architectural team depending upon the project at hand, and then all of the subcontractors as well. One of the other defining um, points at the time in Miller's early growth was there was a period of time where we self-performed our own concrete tilt wall. So that was another way of which we were adding perhaps a unique value proposition to the equation. But over time, they stopped doing their own concrete tilt wall and still maintained their ability to have almost 100% private sector negotiated work. So I wouldn't say that that was the sole reason, but I'm just adding it in there that I feel that was a differentiator at the time, but the, but similar again, to what Matt said on your previous podcast, everything, that whole episode just really resonated with me. And in fact, on my next trip to Detroit, I'm stopping to meet with Matt (laughs) so that we can have a conversation about this because it's like, we'll be preaching to each other's choir. Right. Um, but the biggest thing that you're really doing when you are in a hundred percent negotiated design, build or quasi design build work is you are spending time educating prospective clients on why using that delivery method will be beneficial. So, and I think Matt alluded to that in your previous podcast. So it's less of a selling role it doesn't really feel like you're selling something. It feels more like you're educating and trying to tell stories and give examples that create proof around what you're selling, that this is going to create a better outcome. And when you do that, when you're successful and getting them to understand that it's actually less risky for them to do it that way and easier on them have the single point of contact, there's less finger pointing, all of those things that Matt also mentioned. I found all of that to be true. So I'm just grateful again, back to like me talking about my own career, I'm just grateful that I was able to learn how to do business development, that I was able to learn it in that kind of setting. And um, because I believe so strongly that that is the right way to do things, So whenever somebody would have approached me and said, you know, are you interested in being on our bidders list or blah, 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 it was just very easy to respectfully decline because I just knew in my heart, no, we would not like to. And, you know, by the way, neither should you, but it's, it's really true. If you believe that it's going to create a better result, then it's much easier to get on the bandwagon of selling that and only selling that, if that makes sense.
0: I think, I think a lot of sales is all just about educating really a good salesman does a good job of educating. Right. And like, it kind of reminds me of my experiences of being on the subcontractor side and we weren't on the quote, sell side and the bid side. We didn't estimate. And then, you know, manage the work. We were the project manager, but you had to quote, sell your change orders. And I saw, you know, whenever you would have a story that goes with it, right. If I just said this work's going to take me 500 man hours, like everyone's gonna say, You're crazy, it's not gonna take that many hours. But if you break it down into steps, right, and tell the story. At first, it's gonna take us 10 hours to do this, and it's gonna 40 hours to do this, and another 20 hours to do this, and you add it all up, well, there's your five hundred hours, but it's you're just telling the story, right? And yeah, educating them, the them and telling them the story. And so it's I see a lot of parallels there.
1: Yeah. Or another thing um, that I learned from working at that company was for example, they recognized that one of the things that caused the most stress when talking with a prospective client was just the fear over change orders, right? Like there, there's a fear of it, like it's, it's in the air. There's a fear of change orders, even amongst inexperienced builders, mm-hmm. inexperienced project owners who have never built anything before. But reputationally, that's something they've learned about that they fear. So when I worked for Miller Construction Company, one of the things they decided to do is just eliminate the fear. So they would just tell, we we would just, that was one of the things that we talked about, that when you negotiate a contract with us, that 99% of the time led to a GMP, an open book GMP contract, we just agreed up front, we won't mark up change orders, just eliminate the fear. So as long as there was no substantial change, don't get me wrong, if you went from a, you know, if you (laughs) went from a 40,000 square foot building to a 60,000 square foot building, you would have to make those changes, Right, would have to reflect some change in your general conditions or fee structure. But I'm talking about the vast majority of changes that, that all three of us know, the vast majority of changes really are not dramatically affecting what happens to the general contractor. So if you just alleviate the concern by saying, you know, if you change the color of the carpet or you move this closet over 3 inches or depending upon the timing of things, you and I we all know it's timing oriented, depending upon the timing of things, if there if there really is not a substantial change in what happens to the general contractor then just don't mark it up. You and then you eliminate that fear. So that's just an example of the kind of thing that we were doing to differentiate ourselves. And then to tie back into Kyle's point, what we really were selling, which again is similar to what Matt Better was saying, is that you're, what you're really selling is that the client is going to have the opportunity to have a much more positive experience, and that what you're really selling is the positive experience. Mm -hmm. And that kind of ties into chapter seven of my book. That's why I talk a lot in chapter seven about how the critical path in the construction industry really, it's like ironic because the critical path from good to great no longer runs through construction management skills because everybody's got them. Everybody can do it. Everybody can build a building with a few exceptions here and there your true competitors, your apples to apples to apples true competitors, any one of you can build the building and it will get done. Mm-hmm. And I can prove that by every project you've ever pursued that you didn't get, it got built by somebody, right? And so it just does. You're not the only person that can build it. So the question then becomes, in order to differentiate yourself about your from your competitors, It really just cannot run through those standard construction management skills and behaviors, meaning you can't just say, well, we build quality projects, we're on time, we're on budget, we have a great safety record, here's our testimonials from other clients on projects like yours that are very similar, that's how we can prove it to you, how do we do it, we have the best people. Okay. Well, that's everybody's sales pitch. Everybody's sales pitch sounds just like that. Legitimately, legitimately sounds like that. So therefore you have to ask yourself if we cannot differentiate ourselves on quality work, on time, on budget, we got the best people, safety, none of those things are differentiators anymore. So then what is a potential differentiator? Well, things like If you hire us, we are going to give you a simpler contract experience and a better actual construction experience. That's what you're essentially selling. So again, I was blessed to work for an organization that taught me all of that. And then I have been paying that forward by going out and trying to basically be a disciple of that, of of that kind of thinking and behavior. And for, to get people to understand that what happens at the company level is also happening to all of us, right? Like you, Matt, Kyle, me, we all work for those companies. Mm-hmm. So what's true at the company level is by default true for us. We cannot differentiate ourselves based upon construction management skills because the project manager or superintendent or PX or whatever who's sitting next to you, has the exact same credentials as you, so then you have to be asking yourself, "What else do I got? What else can I sell? What additional value can I bring to this company?" And that's the type of professional talent development that I've been doing ever since.
0: Well,
2: that's really
0: good.
2: I was just going to say that, that that's really good, Cody, and I I feel that also kind of ties in with what you were saying about being well well rounded. Because being well-rounded allows you to have a unique perspective and bring different things to the table and think about things differently, experience things differently. I mean that's really what gets a nice well, well well-rounded team and <laughs> a nice balance of the thing and it helps create success in projects from what I've seen at least.
1: Absolutely. I could not agree more. All right it just if nothing else, it makes you more empathetic, right Like the more the more hats that you've worn on the team, right. makes you much more empathetic to what it's like to do those jobs if nothing else it increases your level of empathy Mm -hmm. but more importantly even than that is it teaches you over time that you have to eventually transition from being a project focused person to being a company focused person
0: you have to if
1: you want if you want to go up the ladder now if you're if your end game If your end game for your career is to be the best project manager ever or the best superintendent ever or the best estimator ever, that's one thing, right? Have at it, right? Become the most valuable player at that. Have at it. But if your goal is to be VP of this or VP of that or the executive ranks or someday start your own company and have success with it, then the more well-rounded career choices you make along the way, it will reward you. And also, you then will be able to navigate that transition much easier when you transition away from being project-focused to being company-focused because you absolutely have to make that transition. That's one of the biggest things that I coach and teach is that you need to realize pretty quick, like in your first five to 10 years, even though all of your assignments are likely to be project focused when you're young it behooves you to start realizing that a project is not a company they are not the same thing so just because you have experience doing well adding value to a project that does not prepare you to run the company it does not you have to eventually make a make a smooth and methodical and effective transition away from managing projects to managing people and managing the company because that is a whole other layer of responsibilities so that kind of transitioning if you start thinking about it when you're younger and just kind of like planting those seeds in some fertile ground in your mind you'll be 900 miles ahead of all your peers who are not thinking that way
0: so if you're wanting to if that's where your vision is right you don't want to be a project manager your whole life you want to you know, run a business, maybe own your own business, what are some stuff to start when you're younger doing to set you down that path? Start thinking that way?
1: Okay, well, I have a couple of favorites that I like to share. And before and before I share them, you know, Matt, please know that I know that the advice that I give is not the only good advice, right? There are lots of there are lots of ways to accomplish great things in the Mm -hmm. industry. So I would certainly never try to claim that, oh, you have to do these exact things or or you're doomed. But these are things that I have seen work really well for people. Some of them I also did myself. But many of the strategies that I outline are also things where I voyered in and watched other people be very successful. And then I'm just spying on them respectfully, <laughs> watching what they're doing and how they're doing it. So kind of a combination of watching other people that were been enormously successful in the industry plus things that I tried myself. So to give you a couple of examples, I tell this all the time to people who are just coming into the industry. Make sure you stay in the field absolutely as long as possible. And then that on one hand, that doesn't sound like that different or novel of advice, but here's my twist on it which is chapter two in my book, which is the trailer ate the field. That is the big difference that I am constantly trying to get across. It's a little bit controversial. Some people don't like to hear it, but I will like stand in this and bet everything I have that what I'm saying is accurate. (laughs) The trailer is not the field. So when I say I want you to get out there and get as much field experience as you can, what I mean by that is be a field engineer, assistant superintendent, superintendent, that track. That is what I mean by the field, okay? I do not mean the trailer. People use that term all the time. They say, oh, I work in the field. What they really mean is they sit at a desk in the trailer Mm -hmm. on a job site. That is not the same thing. Now, having said that, that is not the same thing as saying that those positions are not valuable. They are valuable. We have to have project engineers. We have to have assistant project managers. We have to have project managers. We have to have project coordinators. They work often in the trailer on a job site. I'm not saying those roles are not important. I'm also not saying they're not essential. They are. All I'm saying is I'm kind of making a little bit of a controversial statement to say they're not field experience. So if you want real field experience, go out and get some. And my point is it will pay you back in spades no matter what you ever do. So if you can get field engineer, assistant superintendent type of roles on three or four sizable projects long enough for you to realize one big huge thing that will help you in your career no matter what you do. The reason I stress so strongly that I want you to be in a field engineer or an assistant superintendent, you know, maybe even a project superintendent on a small job, is because when you are in those actual field positions where you are out interacting with the foreman from all the trade partners every day, coordinating, field supervision, problem solving, etc. that is the sole positions that make you responsible for work in place. Every other position in an entire general contracting firm exists to support that, to enable that, to support that. But the field supervision team is the only people that are actually responsible for work in place. And the reason that that is so key is because this, when you, whenever any of us put together a requisition and send it to the owner, the only thing we are billing for is work in place. That's it, it's the only thing we sell. It is the only thing we sell. With tiny, tiny, tiny exceptions to that. The only thing we sell is work in place. There's no line item for emails. There's no line item for the RFI log. There's no line item for meetings or submittals. We don't get paid for any of that. We get paid for work in place. And the superintendent's team drives work in place. And everyone else exists to support that. So all I'm saying is it will will add tremendous value to your career as you go up the ladder. If you ever become a project manager, you will be amazingly better at it if you have spent time in the field. If you become an estimator, you will be amazingly better at it if you've spent time in the field. If you become business development executive like I did one day, you will be amazingly better at it because of the time that you spent in the field. So you get my point. So that's one of the first biggest things I say, spend as much time in the real field as you can so you can learn to appreciate that driving work in place is the one thing contractors actually sell. That is huge. And then the other big point I'm always trying to get across, I've already alluded to a little bit, which is purposefully bounce around and give yourself as much of a well-rounded track of experiences as you can. And if you ever get a chance to get experience on the owner's side of the equation, it's a good, healthy choice. Because imagine when you come back to general contracting, and you've had experience on the owner's side of the equation, then do you see how that makes you more valuable? Because you're more empathetic to the people that you're trying to sell to and the people that you're trying to take care of. So those are some of the key things that I talk about in the book.
0: That's talking about the owner side. You see it from a whole different perspective. Like I've never worked for a general contractor, but I've worked for a subcontractor and then the owner, I've seen the general contract from both sides. Right. But it's completely, when you're a subcontractor, you're so far removed. It feels like from the owner, you know, for the owner's rep or whatever. And then even trying to get your paint change orders approved, you don't really, you're selling it to the GC and the GC still got to go pass it along to the owner typically. Right. And so it's, Getting that experience has kind of given me a perspective of, a, you know, a 35,000 uh, foot view where I'm like, man, I'm seeing how subcontractors are just stubbing their toe day in and day out just on stuff because they don't see the bigger picture. They got their blinders on and they can't see the next picture. And so I, I mean, I don't I have the experience of being a GC, but I see that it worked the same thing for subcontractors having that different perspective, that different view. So I think that's spot on.
1: Absolutely. And that's the other reason why it's so important to get five to 10 years in the real field, you know, as I described it in the real field, because when you do that, not only do you learn that what general contractors get paid for is work in place. And the only thing we get paid for is work in place. But the other thing that you learn out there is that subcontractors are the most important part of the food chain without question, just not even up for discussion. All the trade contractors are the most valuable people in the food chain, period. First of all, they know the most. They are the most knowledgeable about all of their things, right? Mm-hmm. General contractors, we're, we know enough to be dangerous, right? We know a little bit about everything, hopefully with an intent to be helpful and coordinate, coordinate et cetera, et cetera. But when you are in true field positions, if you are smart, that is where you learn the humility that is required to bring a job together and that is where you learn appreciation for subcontractors and that is where you learn to help them a huge part of my chapter two of my book the trailer ain't the field is so that you learn that your job as a superintendent is to help every subcontractor who's on your job to make money that's your number one if you do that if if that is truly your authentic compassionate goal when you come to the job site every day i want to help every one of these subcontractors to make a buck if that is your servant leadership style you are already to third base right (laughs) and the most world-class superintendents i've ever had the honor and the pleasure of working with that is their mentality they want and need and recognize the fact that every subcontractor is the answer to every problem will come from the subcontractor and they are key. And if you can help them to make a buck, then the project has a chance to make a buck.
0: And you were talking about like the trailers just there to support the superintendents. It's really the superintendents and everybody's there to support subcontractors because that's the, the end exactly. of the day, he's not even doing anything. He's just there helping out subcontractors. So. Exactly.
1: Oh. But that field superintendent, from the general contractor's point of view, the field superintendent's team is your connectivity mm-hmm. to the subs. But yes, you are correct. Everything is happening from the field is being driven by the grace of God of the subs.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> without a doubt. Without a doubt. All hail the
0: subcontractor.
1: <laughs> That's how I feel. Like, oh. They're the best. I mean, honestly, right? Like the things they can do. They're like magicians. It's, they're amazing. The things they can do.
0: We've touched on the book. We've teased it up enough. I just kind of want to take a step back and kind of explain what quote the book is. So, uh, I don't know how long ago, a few years back, you wrote a book uh, called inside commercial constructions, MVPs seven reasons why they get promoted faster, make more money and enjoy a seemingly unfair advantage over anybody else. And there's one little pair, one little thing I want to read from the introduction that I thought I loved it. Um, okay. You said, I wrote this book because it's the book I wish I had throughout my own career. With all the stuff they cannot teach you in school and the golden nuggets that top performers are either unable to articulate or unwilling to share. I yes. love that little bit so much because that's like the sole purpose of this podcast is like really why we started. Is like, I mean, you wrote a book, but we're doing this, but it's the same The same heart behind it so i love that
1: yeah exactly i mean you're doing it in podcast form and i i did it in a book form that translated into all kinds of guest lectures and keynote appearances and now i i have talent development courses that are centered around some of the concepts in these books you do it through a newsletter and a podcast and exceptional consistent posting on linkedin that that matt and kyle you guys both do so there's lots of different ways to skin the cat and try to help, but you are correct. My original intention in writing the book was to leave a trail. It was to give other people the book I wish I would have had. Because when I came into the industry, and it was a long time ago, going on 30 years ago, there was no talent development guide. There was no construction career guide. I was as lost as anyone else. So when I started to figure out, okay, these are some of the things that I see people doing that are making them more valuable than their peers, that are making them be on a fast track trajectory in their career. And they're literally looking in the rear view mirror at the guy sitting next to them. Like, why, why is that? How are they doing that? I started to like really, really look and then try to deconstruct it. Okay, well, what are they doing? What are they doing that is making them promotable? Why, why did this person get promoted and that other guy didn't? You know, Why is this person now VP of Ops or VP of BD and the other guy is still an estimator or still a project manager but doesn't want to be, right? So why is that? And so instead of just looking at it and giving flippant answers like a lot of people do, if you interview a lot of people and say, well, how did you get yada yada position? You get these flippant answers like, oh, well, I worked hard. I was in the right place at the right time. Oh, so-and-so, you know, really threw me a bone and helped me. Like there's just these flippant answers that are not helpful at all. That's how I felt when I would ask people for advice. I just got these answers that just really didn't tell me anything. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to put on my investigative hat here. I'm going to have to deconstruct and try to really look at what's going on. Because what I found is most really, really successful people in the industry, they either cannot articulate how they got there or they won't. It's one, it's one or the other. And so a lot of times you just, again, get these shallow flippant answers. And I wanted to create a storytelling book that would be interesting, funny to read, you know, doesn't read like a Harvard white paper, reads like a conversation like we're having right now over a beer or something. And I wanted it to deconstruct the mystery of how you can fast track your career in the construction management industry and why is that guy making it to VP of Ops or the executive ranks or whatever, how is he doing it and why? And then another thing I want to do is help to deconstruct why some people have success at the top and other people make a complete mess. Because how many of those guys do we know, right, Matt and Kyle? Like, we all know somebody who got promoted that, (laughs) holy hell, was that a mistake, right? Like, they just did not effectively transition well from project-focused world to company-focused world. So that's why half of my book is about making that effective transition, because... We all ran into so many people in our careers where you were like, oh my God, how, is, how and why is that person at such a high level? Like they suck at it, you know? And so again, I wanted to deconstruct that and try to put some meat on the bone to actually be able to provide helpful, useful information instead of being interviewed and saying things like, well, you know, I worked hard and I was in the right place at the right time and I'm really blessed and fortunate and thank you so much. That, that that's where a lot of people stop and it's just not helpful
0: i wouldn't i people be willing to bet it's probably more people falling into the camp but they can't articulate it like they haven't really done right. a deep dive into their own success to really figure it out but until somebody like you comes exactly. along and starts putting together patterns like i'm a huge believer in patterns right so you see this thing happened for all these people this thing happened for all these people this person did all these same things um you start seeing that pattern but most people. Most people aren't looking at everybody else. Most people are only paying attention to themselves. They're like, I don't know. I mean, just right place, right time, I guess.
1: <laughs> right. You have to really be if you if you yourself have been fortunate to have had a really good fast track career, then you should, if you really want to leave a trail, if you really want to be helpful to the next generation, you need to take an honest look, right? And and not be flippant or shallow about it and ask yourself, okay, what did I actually do? In order to make this happen and then because you don't want to frame an entire story around one main character of yourself it also behooves you to look around you right and watch other really successful people and try to deconstruct what they have done and so that's what my book is it's like seven different chapters of hints and strategies of things that i've seen other people do and one of them for example we already talked about which is making this effective transition from being project focused to being company focused. But another big one that I'll also put out there today for people to chew on, is eventually you do have to realize that business development trumps operations. Eventually you have to swallow that pill, okay? And for some people that is a jagged pill they do not want to swallow, okay? But it is true, okay? When you think about how a construction company works, one of the classes that I teach, this is not in my book, but it's one of the classes that I teach, is called getting profitable work is harder than executing it. Okay, that's a straight up true statement. Ask anybody who's done both, ask anybody who's been in charge of operations and in charge of business development, they'll tell you it's harder to get profitable work than it is to execute it. Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds blasphemous to the people that are busting their ass (laughs) in the field, right? Because we all know how hard it is to execute construction management projects. It is effing hard. So that's not the point. The point is not to say that construction management is easy. Construction management is really hard. But consistently getting profitable work with a growing client base into your company, that's harder That's harder. So if you really want to add value to the general contracting, construction management, design build firm, or subcontractor trade partner, either way, if you really want to add value as you go up the ladder in your organization, at some point in time, you have to transition into adding value to the business development team. Because that's the hardest part. So whenever you can add value to the hardest part, you are of course going to be more valuable. And there's more people who can do the operations part, right? How does something become more valuable in a capitalist economy? It's supply and demand, right? There are more people who can build buildings than there are people who can sell a client to hire you for a negotiated design build contract. That's a rarer skill So because it's a rare skill, you get paid more to do it. Period, it's just economics. (laughs) So you you need to be able to learn to think like that. So if you feel that you have potential to do that sort of thing and to add value at that level in the top of your organization, and it's smart to start thinking about it now, no matter if you're two years into your career, five or 10, start thinking about that because that is a huge way you will differentiate yourself.
2: Well, and and you're, you're totally right there, Cody. And, and especially on anybody who's actually gone through a slow period in business. Um, if, if you haven't done that, you don't really understand how hard it is to get the momentum going again and to get the client base and to start getting projects rolling in the door, especially knowing that, hey, maybe I'm slow right now. Even when I start projects, I still have the 30, 60, 90-day payment terms on top of that. There's even still more cash flow and more things to consider. So that's one issue all in itself. And it's really tough if you haven't actually been through it understand it and see it that's why those skills can be so valuable because when you're you're looking out for the business owners when you're looking out for your managers and and the and the the c-suite execs of the company to make the company more profitable i mean you become invaluable because it's so hard to do something that actually understands that
1: kyle you are so correct i tell people all the time that these young people that are coming into the industry They are sitting in something really wonderful and then something really difficult at the same time. So let me explain myself. Like, let's say you have come into the industry and you're like maybe about five years. You're like zero. You're somewhere between recent college grad and five years. So the really good thing is you just came into a booming industry. Right. There's jobs left and right. I put, it, I put out a LinkedIn post that had a lot of positive responses where I basically said, you know, right now all you need is a construction management degree and a pulse, and you can get a job pretty easily, right? So that's the good news if you're one of those guys or girls. The bad news is you're getting a false perception of what the industry is like. So Kyle, to your point, if you've never worked or lived through a recession, They have no idea what's going to hit them when the recession hits, because all of a sudden you're going to need so much more than your degree and your pulse and a little bit of experience, because you know what? There's going to be 10 other guys who have exactly what you have and maybe more, and you're all of a sudden competing with them for the shrinking number of jobs that are left, and every single person is also going to be overpaid. Everyone is being paid a lot of money right now. A lot of money is getting thrown around. Mm -hmm. So when the pendulum swings in the other direction to Kyle's point, which it will, right? Because if you've been in the industry at least 20 years, then you've seen at least one and it will happen. And that's why, again, I'm trying to coach and train and develop these young construction managers to realize that you have come into the industry in a very unique situation and you have way too much power that that's the thing they don't realize they're, they they have way too much power right now right they basically can pick and choose what job they want the general contractors and large-scale trade partners are fawning over them they're They're literally getting a dog and pony show of come work for us. No, come work for us. No, come work for us. It's insane what is happening, okay? It's giving you a false sense of value, okay? When the pendulum swings the other way, and it will, then everything is going to shift. And so what I'm saying is, Just wake up and smell that coffee now, go ahead and swallow that pill, start preparing yourself. So that when things change, you already know how to sell yourself. You already know how to differentiate yourself against Tom, Dick, Harry, Sally, and everybody else. Start now, because it is not always going to be like this. There will come a day when the power shifts Back to
2: the major GCs. Well, you're absolutely right. And and just back to, back to another point you made really quick here so everybody that's listening understands that it. It's a skill and it takes time to learn it. There is nobody that just is born to be able to sell. Everybody learns it from somebody else from experience, period. There's nobody that's just born that way. It takes time watching, learning, and seeing how others do it. It takes reps.
1: Exactly. It yeah. takes reps. The same way exactly what you're saying is true, Kyle, the same way there's no uh, substitute for field experience, right? Like it just takes time. You have to be assigned to multiple projects and you have to see things get built many times, right? And there's just no way to substitute or skirt your way around it. Everything we do in the construction management industry, it is enormously difficult to teach it from a classroom setting, a book setting, anything. It's really hard, really, Mm -hmm. really, really hard. And the same thing is true for business development, right? So, and then imagine how difficult it is to do business development and construction management. Imagine that Venn diagram, right? Mm -hmm. Where the circle of construction management meets the circle of business development and they overlap. Okay, those people that are good (laughs) at both that, those are the unicorns. Those seller doers are extremely valuable. So all I'm saying is start to recognize that if you want to have a long, highly valuable career in the industry, you want to fast track yourself, then start thinking about how can I get myself into that Venn diagram? How can I get there? Because that, in my opinion, from what I've seen is the fastest path to the top.
2: 100%. Well said.
0: I want to change the subject for just a minute because I don't want to forget that I have Kyle's favorite game coming up where he has to oh, describe a meme uh, for everybody that's listening to the podcast and not watching it. Okay. And I just it fits the conversation so well. So I want to make sure we got this in today.
2: Okay, let's do this here. gonna actually be like uh you know on time this time matt or are we gonna sit here for a while and watch you
0: fumble around again <laughs> there's gonna be a fair am deal right? of, of fumbling just give me
1: am i gonna be able to see it or no oh okay okay
2: okay here we go oh, of course you had to do something like this so, <laughs> all right so anybody listening here so we have uh we have we have a and i really should know who this is it's one of the guys from king and the hill it right? Is king of the hill i should say uh he's wearing a hard hat he's wearing a conduit or he has a conduit vendor with him there's a backpack and a can of red bull um, this thing is
0: probably kyle hey well it'd, he be, a
2: look and do it. it'd be a I mean, monster dude so it could be kyle um, um and the caption so he says i'm not questioning your authority i'm completely denying its existence my caption <laughs> is me arguing with the 30 year old project manager with an online degree and no field experience Yeah. Hey, it happens all the time.
1: <laughs> I could have drawn this meme myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was, while I was eating my lunch earlier, I was searching for a meme for this one. I was like, I gotta find something good. And then this one, just like the heavens opened and it fell in my lap. Like it had the electrician, <laughs> it had, it was perfect. I knew it was going to fall right, right the into thing... Cody's theme.
1: Yes. That's how I felt. Like the whole feeling of having no authority Like, there's nothing more humbling than, okay, like, just picture me, okay, just picture me, go ahead and laugh, it's funny. Picture me, I'm 23 years old, I'm walking onto a job site, the first major job site I've ever been onto in my life. I have mint in box boots, which is dumb. (laughs) I mean, I literally wore brand new boots out of a box. Had a brand new clean hard hat on i go to work as a field engineer i've never been on a major job site in my life that meme is exactly the truth like you you have no authority it doesn't matter that your hard hat says the general contractor's name everyone knows that you have no weight to throw around right just none none so that is the key to success right it's sitting in that humility recognizing that you need to learn from everyone around you drink from the fire hose that's going to come at you with humility and appreciation and respect and just recognize that regardless of who you work for it takes a long time in the construction management industry to earn to truly earn any position of authority any position. And I think that's one of the challenges of our industry. I really do. Because young people these days really looking for a shortcut (laughs) to the top of things. And don't get me wrong. I was young and ambitious too. I wanted a shortcut also. But there are some things that cannot be shortcutted. And it really takes time in our industry. It really, really takes time for you to get out there, spend time out there, make mistakes, watch and learn, and just realize that you're not gonna have any weight of authority to throw around for a very long period of time. But if you stick with it and get past that, then you will realize the wisdom of having done so.
0: I love it. We can keep this conversation going for another four hours, I think. We'll probably have to have you on for part two, three, and four later.
1: Okay. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh,
0: definitely. I'm going to wrap it up here. Unless y'all have any golden nuggets to add, uh, any additional golden nuggets to add. Um, Cody, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you?
1: Um, probably the easiest way is maybe just connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me a, shoot me a DM on LinkedIn, or you can shoot me an email Cody at Cody fournier.com. But my biggest social media presence is just linkedin
0: linkedin seems to be the best for this industry that i found we talk about that all the time but it seems at least for people that are actually wanting to have legitimate thought-provoking conversations it seems like linkedin's an actual legitimate place to do that so
1: i agree and you know what else i really appreciate about linkedin is it seems to be the only social media where you can't just be anonymous yeah You know what I mean? So it's like, I think it fosters much healthier, honest conversation. And, you know, I love it. I love the fact that whenever I'm reading somebody's posts or somebody's comments, that at least I can see who that person is and where they're coming from That that I'm just extremely grateful for that versus other things, you know, like Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. So, and I and I truly I wouldn't know either of you if it was not for LinkedIn. So, it does make me grateful. And I'm a little bit late to the LinkedIn party. I mean, I've been a member of LinkedIn for 14 15 years, but when I say late to the LinkedIn party, it really was only this year that I started like giving thoughtful posts on LinkedIn and really making an effort to connect with others. And that's how I found both of you guys. And so again, I just want to say that we are kindred spirits, I think, in this effort to help other people, right? I love that your podcast is focused on mentoring others, because obviously that's something that is near and dear to my heart. So thank you both for not only the opportunity for me to be here today, but thank you for every episode that you do, for ev- for every effort that you put into it, because I know it is not your day job, right? And so it takes a lot of time and energy and effort to do these things, right? And none of us get paid to do them. N- none of us do, but look what we're doing. Hopefully we're having a huge impact on the next generation for an industry that obviously has been good to all of us and that we care about.
0: I appreciate awesome. that. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for all you're all doing. You guys, too, awesome.
1: too. you guys are awesome. Thank you so much.
2: <laughs> thank all you. All right, I think the listeners too. See you next time. See you guys. Bye.